God, we love you so much. And we um, just thank you for a time to come together once again, kind of in this weekly rhythm of, of, of being the people of God together. Lord, we know that, uh, that we all come into this place kind of from different journeys, maybe even different beliefs and understandings today, and, and, and to know that you welcome that. And Lord, we want to welcome kind of this beautiful, diverse group of people. And Lord, we know that your truth today, Lord, wants to meet each one of us where we are. And so, Lord, I just pray that right now in each of our hearts and minds, you would do a work of humbling us, God, bringing us to a place of gratitude that we need you, bringing us to a place of of desire and hunger for your truth above the truth that we kind of get bombarded with every day. Lord, we see your beauty in creation. We see your work in this world just through the way things work and, Lord, the way things are provided but Lord, we also see great need. And so we just bring all those things to you now. Lord, speak through me in spite of me, Lord. There's nothing good that can come without you doing it. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to come and catch these words on fire in our hearts and lives. So we have one purpose, that's for your glory. We have one name to exalt, and that's Jesus. So Lord, that's our prayer today. In his name, amen. Well, we are just going to jump right into it because there is a lot to cover today, and it's thick. Uh, so we're going to continue studying through James. Thick. We're going to continue. I felt a smirk on this side of the room, and I looked, and it was there. So, um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but we're going to continue studying through James. We have about three. I think we have three more weeks left this week. Uh, next week, Roswell Smith, who pastors a church in the, in the third ward, will be here teaching, and then we'll have one more week. He'll, he'll continue James next week. Um, but, man, it, it has been um, a, a rich journey with James. If you've been a part, if you haven't, you can go back on our podcast or website and kind of catch up if you like. But I'm just going to jump in and, uh, and read. Let me just say, today, this is a really hard text. It's hard to teach. It's hard to interpret, um, and, it's, and it's of all, James is kind of known to be a, a guy, and this letter is known to be a letter that kind of, it's kind of confrontational a little bit. It calls you on your stuff a lot, kind of calls you to the carpet, and we've, we've, we've faced that, and we've seen over and over again how that is actually a loving thing, and once again, we can say that today, but today, the, of all that is covered in James, these six verses today are the harshest tone that James takes, and if you know me, I am not confrontational. I want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to get along. I want everyone to feel good about themselves. So I'm going to do my best to stay faithful to the text and not let my, uh, what I want to do is like come sit alongside everybody and put their arm around them, you know? And so I'm going to let this text teach, hopefully. Uh, but it's a tough text. And so we, let us agree prayerfully that God's truth is good and us bringing our lives to his truth is a gift. And so with that, I'm going to read it. Um, And then we're going to work through it, okay? So James 5, 1 through 6 in whole. Here we go. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. I mean, that is a great opening verse. And it's hard to deny that in the world standards, we are all rich. So just making, I want to make sure you feel the discomfort I feel. So your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reaches have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. 
He does not resist you. And so I say it's confrontational, but for some of you, you may be reading this and thinking, well, actually, that doesn't apply to me. I've, I've never withheld rages, I've, wages. I've never murdered anybody. And, and you know, I hope that's true. But there is definitely a, a truth uh, for all of us to consider today. So what's going on here? Um, first, before we kind of break this down, I want us to lay some groundwork. So how do we get here? How did James come to this point? You know, and when we talked about James, like kind of at the beginning, we talked about how it's a bunch of disjointed proverbial teachings. That it's just kind of like James is just riffing. And, and while I think that is the case some, I think it's way more connected. And, and, and my wife can have great sympathy and probably identify, like, I, I, we'll be hanging out, Amber is her name, we'll be hanging out, she's right here, um, we'll be hanging out, and, and we'll be talking, and all of a sudden, I will say something totally random to her, and she'll be like, how in the world did that come to your mind? And it'll be like, I wish I, wish I would have thought, of, I didn't think about Shane, I wish I would have thought about one ahead of time, but, um, but I will be able to trace to her how something in our moment led me down this, which y'all have seen this when I teach, too, the rabbit trails I take. But it happens in my head all the time, and it leads me to something totally disconnected but yet totally related. And I think, especially today, I think we see that in James. And I think that's happening a lot all throughout James. But James just got through teaching in the previous verses that we call chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It was just a part of his letter right before He's, he's addressing a very similar reality, like I just, I just referenced. He says, hey, you who say you're going to go to this city and that place and work for this long, make that much money, and yet you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. He's saying, hey, you know what? All that you have, all the, every bit that you achieve, every bit that you do is for the purpose of the glory of God. Whether, whatever opportunity you have, whatever opportunity you lose, God's purpose and his glory exists for you in that moment because wherever your feet stand is where your mission is. So we talked about that. And so we talked about this call to like having this open-handed view of what we have, uh, the, why we have what we have and how we use what we have. And so we come from there and it's almost as if you know, J James was, was writing this letter because, again, this is not a conversation that was recorded letter, later. This is a letter that he wrote for a people, and it's almost like he's playing out the, the environment that this letter is read, and he sees the faces, kind of like I saw the smirk to my right a minute ago. He sees the faces, and he, he sees questions, and he's like, oh, wait a minute. These people are asking, you know, well, I mean, what about me? I mean, like, so... So I'm, you know, we're told to, you know, that God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Every bit of our purpose in life is wrapped up in his purpose. So we need to take comfort no matter what comes, even if bad things happen, even if people oppress me, even if people exploit me. Because these weren't exploited people. The people that James was writing to were predominantly uh, Jewish Christians, those who were of Israel that had, who had converted to follow Christ. And now they were living in an oppressed, marginalized world where they were, they were exploited. They were limited access to resources and to opportunity. And so you, he, he could just hear the questions come up. Well, what about me? I mean, is this, is this really fair? Like, what about all those getting rich at my expense? It's almost like James played that out, and without a sequitur, without any kind of transition, he now starts addressing those people. The people that are not of the church, the people that are not following Christ, the people that are exploiting and oppressing and persecuting and doing and gaining much wealth at the extent and to the expense of the faithful church. So he answers these questions by addressing 
those who are not Christ followers. So we see this, verse 1 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries coming upon you. So what we say James is addressing those who are not Christ followers here is because uh, we, we, we can see that it's the same topic extended from the previous verses, but yet he begins a new address. He says, come now. You see, he, so we saw just in verse 4.13, come now you who say you will go to this place. He's continuing talking about stewardship of money and the way we handle it, the way we get it. But he says, come now you who see. So we see a new address, even though it's the same topic. So that's our first clue. Secondly, I would say the tone. The tone here is, is much more like the prophetic tone of the Old Testament of the prophet calling a people to repent and turn to God. So we see it in the consistency of the context of all of Scripture. He's calling to an outside people to repent. It's much more similar to that tone. And then I would say also the definitive nature in which their destruction is coming. He says, woe. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries coming upon you. And that has, that has an eternal, an, an end sense to it, a definitive, a, a defining sense. And so again, without Christ, that's the reality. In Christ, His righteousness is ours. So while there is consequence for sin, as we saw in the previous verses, we see that the ultimate sense of destruction would lead us to say that this is addressing those who are not Christ followers. And again, that's an area of debate, and, and, and there are some that would say this is addressing uh, those who are in Christ, those in the church. And I would say possibly, and, I, and I've even kind of a few times this week gone back and forth with kind of that understanding. But I'll say this, the truth doesn't change no matter who you think the audience is. And, um, and so today, we're going to address it with those understandings, saying that, that James is, a, is, is teaching those who are not Christ followers, but he's doing it for the sake of those who are. So if these verses are addressing those who are not following Jesus, how should a Christ follower understand this? So first, I'll say this to you. This should be a word that gives you strength and a resolve to not be wooed into the covetousness and envy that this world so, so consistently just hangs in front of us. We so often, I mean, gosh, it is just so hard. Like, Emma and I talk about kind of materialism, and, and, and some of us others do as well. And, and for me, I always end up saying the statement, I either want it all or I, or I want nothing. This place in between of having some but not all is really hard for me. And so that's, you know, that, that's, this, that's this moving of our hearts to the things of the world, the temporal things. And so first, this, these, these passages should give us a strength and a resolve not to be wooed into those things. As we're reminded of the destruction of this way of life, we should be reminded of the riches of God's grace in Jesus and stay the course of faithful stewardship of our resource and an eternal focus. Secondly, this should be an instructive word. Um, and instructive is probably the nicest sense in which you could refer to this text because instructed would be if you're living a, 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 a God-righteous life, a righteousness that is, comes from Christ and is for the glory of God and you're living faithful and obedient, it's instructive at the very least. <laughs> it, um, and depending on where you're at on the spectrum from there, it could be uh, just a great word of wrath and rebuke. So remember that we're redeemed to be a people of love and hope that are not rooted, uh, that, where that love and hope are not rooted in this world. I mean, to think about it, how great of a travesty it would be to have the promise and the purpose of God and deny it, to, to pursue and cling to a far lesser promise and purpose 
limited to this world and, and focused only on you, focused only on me. So today we'll, we'll teach the text again as it is, and prayerfully the Holy Spirit, prayerfully he will come and he will apply it to our hearts and lives as needed. There's one more thing we need to cling to today, no matter where we find ourselves, whether we have surrendered our life to Christ or not, um, and it's this, it's God's love and his grace. Those are the very things that remove our comfort. So as we are confronted today with some, some maybe some hard truths, maybe, we're, maybe we see as we look in the mirror of this truth and we see ourselves there held up against this truth, we see some areas that need to be surrendered. We see some things that need to die in us. To realize that it is, it is God's grace and his love that brings us to that place that removes our comfort, that would allow us to exist and to stay in that place. Because that that's bondage, that's captivity. It's, it's a lesser freedom. It's a lesser joy. And so it's his, it's his love that does that. We can see, we can see the importance of, of love and truth coming together. And we see that on the cross. That out of God's love, he sent his son to die. But his truth demanded justice and Jesus paid that justice. So we see that we have to come to that same place of seeing that love and truth come together. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is a great picture of, of the need for us to be confronted with our, with our sin, with our need, the place of being pulled out of our comfort, but then also the glorious promise from doing. So I'm going to read this in whole real quick. It says, this is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It'll be on your screens. And you were dead in the trespasses trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's a pretty desperate situation, right? Pretty desperate. No promise in that. Rough. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and sealed us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So with that terrifying picture of sin and death and this glorious promise of his grace and salvation, we can know this, that this is the gospel. This is grace. Because God is holy, we are very wicked. Yeah, that's good, right? We are more lost than we ever dared hope. It's worse than you could ever imagine. But because he is loving through Jesus Christ, we're more accepted than we ever dared believe. We're more wicked than we ever dared hope. We're more accepted than we ever dared believe. So if there is discomfort today, lovingly say, thank you, God. What do you want me to do with this? Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So today, don't diminish the work God wants to do. Let's, let's don't come at this from the minimum, 
finding what must I do just to satisfy. Let's start at the place that acknowledges all of our life belongs to God. He created us for Him. He created us for fellowship and for His glory. So let's acknowledge that. Let's find the joy in that. After all, remember that we were bought with a price. He is worthy. So let's live a life of joyful offering. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So today, as we venture in, we're going to move through this text pretty fast. Let's just say, here I am, God. My life. Blank check. From there, show me. It's yours. So here we go. So now the rest of our text. Verses 2 through 6, James addresses three sins and how these that are acquiring and stewarding their money for their own gain, how to, we see the sins that are, 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 that are leading them there, that are keeping them there. So this first sin is the sin of hoarding. We see this in 2, two through 3. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Okay, so James is addressing the work of acquiring great riches as a means of power, hope, and security in this world. There's a warning and a sin here. The warning first is this, that if you, if you, um, if you live for temporal rewards, you will get temporal gains. Kind of a, a law of nature. You kind of get what you give, da da da, that kind of thing. But if you live for temporal rewards, you'll get temporal gains. That which is dust returns to dust. That which is eternal will always be eternal. Tim Keller says this He says, Your spirits are corroding, your spirits are rusting, because when you put your hearts on things that rust, your heart will rust with them. So the warning here is, is just to say, hey, you're going to get what you aim for. You're going to get what you work for. You're going to get what you desire. Eventually, that's how it's going to work out. So the warning here to the person who is driven solely by acquiring, solely by achieving, solely by, by gaining the world's accolades, the things that are that their sole desire is, is just here on this space, that's all you're going to get. You may enjoy it for a little while. But that's it. So the sin we're seeing here, the sin is this, is that you are denying that there is a holy, good, sovereign creator. And this creator, this God, who he provides all and has created all for an eternal purpose. So the sin is to deny that. There's a word here for the Christ follower as well. At the end of the day, this is a call for us to live with eternity in view. If you want to learn the big word for that, it's eschatology. To have an eschatological view of life. The fact that there will be a day that Jesus returns for his church. There will be a day on that day when there is judgment for all people. On that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some in joyful adoration, some in horror. And so it's living with that in view. And for the Christian, that's hopeful. It's hopeful. It is, it is life-giving. It, is the meaning, uh, it gives meaning to our life that goes beyond our days. And it's also a call to urgent compassion, as we've talked about before. And so the call to the Christian here is we hear this. We should be moved to lift our eyes from today 
to lift our eyes from, from our, our living rooms, from our bank accounts, from our spheres of influence to, to an eternal view of what matters most. Again, for you and your hope and your, your freedom, but also, again, why we are in this world. It is to extend the heart of God for the, for the broken, for the oppressed, for the outcast, for the slave, for the dying. And make no mistake, those who are not in Christ, that is their reality. You, if you are in Christ, you've been there. Remember. Remember. You were there. We're no different. Only by grace. So, be encouraged, be emboldened. We must live in the reality that Jesus will return. Be sobered and be joyful because you are in Christ. Because again, when this world is all there is, this world and what you can get in it is all that matters. But when you have the purpose and hope of eternity in Christ, you're freed up from the confines of temporal satisfactions. So for the one who has not believed on Christ, I pray that the truth of God goes beyond my words and that somehow this brings you to a place of, of seeing this loving invitation for the first time and that you step into the invitation of freedom and redeemed purpose. For the one who is in Christ, live as if there is so much more than tomorrow only. Again, we're sanctified. We're set apart for a holy purpose. Our lives have a different fruit because of Christ, not because of us. So there's the sin of hoarding earthly possessions as if there are only goal and hope. The second sin James addresses here is that of withholding wages. We see that in verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Man, the imagery here, this imagery rings all throughout the Old Testament. James was evoking something familiar to his audience. It goes all the way back to Genesis 4, when Abel's blood, the brother of Cain, his blood cried out against his brother who had murdered him. We see this all through the Old Testament as God works on behalf of the oppressed and the outcast. Again, we talk about the law. The law comes up a lot in Scripture. I mean, and when you see something in Scripture says, according to the law, and this is just a little side note caveat to help us read Scripture well. When you see something that says according to the law, it is not saying mind your P's and Q's. It is not saying make your checklist and make sure according to the law that you, that checklist you got from the law that you, that you do that. When it says according to the law, it is saying according to the heart of God. According to the way of God the Father who created you and loves you. Because according to the law is saying, it's referring to the Old Testament Torah, which is the first, the foundational five books of the Bible, the first ones. And so it's saying, do it in, in that picture, the whole point of the Torah, those books, is to show us the heart of God, to show us the person of God. That's what it's about. And so when it says according to the law of God, it's saying do it in such a way that reflects the heart of God. Do it in the way that he would do it. That's the invitation. So it's, that's what we're being called to here. And so as we think about this, this uh, hoarding, and I don't even know why my brain jumped there. If I took the time, I could maybe trace it as mentioning earlier. But I, th oh, just think, I know how it got there now. Um, thanks for bearing with me. But thinking of the way we see God work in the Old Testament. 
we see him, the way, when we see his wrath most vehemently displayed, it is, it is in reaction to a, a people that are without power, a people that are without position, being acted upon in violence or being, being outcast or being oppressed by the people that are in power. We see it over and over again. Just go and read it for yourself. And so, so when we say this is Old Testament language, this is, the, this is a picture of the Old Testament God working, what James is saying is that God is the same as he's ever been. God hears the cry of the oppressed and he responds. And so, for the oppressed to take comfort, for the oppressor, look out. <laughs> like, that's what James is calling us here to. So the sin of, of withholding wages is the sin of someone in power taking advantage of the one that they have power over. And God does not respond well to that. We are called to fight against that. We're expected to. God is for all of his children. To act in a way that is for any, any of their harm is to act against the very will and person of God. You don't want to find yourself on the other end of God's judgment. Again, he's working for his purpose. He's working for his glory. He's working for the good of those he loves. So, you know, if that's you, repent. Be generous. Care for those he's given you authority over. And the promise here, the exhortation here for, for, for the church is that God hears your cries. God hears you. He invites you to cast every care upon Him. He says, knock at the door persistently. I will answer. Jeremiah 33.3 says, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you the great and hidden things that you have not known. Call to me and I will answer you. The exhortation here is that we withhold. Why do we withhold? For any reason. It doesn't matter, you know, Christ follower or not. We withhold because we want to have more than the other person the comparison thing. We have to see the comparison coming back to the imagery before rots our souls. I mean, have you found yourself asking questions like this? Why do they get the opportunity? Why do they get the raise? Why do they get the car? Why do they get the easy life? That's comparison. That's looking for a hope in this world. You're freer than that. Your standard is greater than that. Your promise is higher than that. As in Romans 1, don't trade the truth of God for a lie and worship the created over the Creator. He is your satisfaction. That's His promise. That's what He's calling us to. It's what He expects and it's what He's inviting us to. So don't hoard as if only today matters and don't exploit, uh, exploit others to get ahead as if you have some great authority that is worth satisfying, satisfying everyone else. And the last sin... James confronts is that of self-indulgent luxury. Here's where it gets sticky. This is hard for us. It's hard because I guarantee you in the next few minutes you're going to want you're going to want a line. You're going to want a, you're going to want a level or a number or a percentage or something to tell you where that line is of where something goes from 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 something that's faithful to something that is sinful from from having what we have to all of a sudden having some self-indulgent luxury. And we live, we live in Montrose or around here. I mean, again, so we're going to be faced with this. So this is where it gets hard. So don't, don't check out. 
He's addressing the work of acquiring great riches. James 5, 5 says this, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Okay, so let me take a sip of water. Here we are talking about the difference between saving and hoarding, between stewarding, stewarding and leveraging for power, between greed and gratefulness. This is what we're talking about. The picture here in referencing the day of slaughter is of the cattle that eats their fill with great abundance every day without a care in the world, as if it's never going to end. But they're in the ignorance that they're having all of that provided so that they can be fattened up for the day of slaughter. That's the picture here. James, in great love, is saying to these people, wake up, wake up. Your ignorance ignorance is leading you to destruction. Your rebellion is leading you to destruction. See that all that you have is not for the purpose that you think it is. It's not just so that your bellies can be full and you can be satisfied at the end of the day and say, wow, I've done good today. Oh, man, I have it good. Oh, man, life is good. Like there's a bigger picture than that. And we want to say those things, right? There's nothing wrong with saying that at the end of the day. But there's a difference when your posture is gratefulness versus all of a sudden it is about consuming and, and fulfilling just your fleshly desires. So the sin here is that you are denying the provision of God in Christ and denying that the purpose of all creation, including you and all that you have, is for his purpose of creation. Again, his name and his renown, his glory to be be multiplied across the face of the earth. Again, it goes all the way back to the garden. I mean, what I just said, goes back to even the mandate of to be fruitful and multiply. God's intent in that was that Adam and Eve were created in their image for His glory, and as they were fruitful and multiplied, His image and His glory would be spread across the earth. So we even see it in the mandate of creation. And then we see that they had everything provided. They had everything. They did not want. They weren't fattening themselves up for a day of slaughter. They had it all. But yet, temptation came in and all of a sudden they wanted to be able to find knowledge and truth for themselves they wanted to be able to define the meaning of life for themselves they denied and they rebelled and they made their own provisions they took it into their own hands and that's what we call the fall that's what all the problems in this life come from so it goes all the way back there god has promised to every bit that every bit of our need will be met in his sovereign care as he welcomes in the outcast, the marginalized, the destitute. This is the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom. And so again, it's a word of woe, but it's an invitation at the same time. And again, a word for those who are in Christ, a word for the church today. Our lives should, be, should of course be markedly different from the world. And this brings us to one of the most difficult truths for us to navigate. As a Christ follower, we must ask, how much is faithful to have? And we're talking about earthly possessions here. We're talking about money. How much is too much? So continuing... 
kind of the heart and the truth from a couple weeks ago. What we have and how we use it should reflect that we know a good God and that he gives us all the things that we have for the purpose he has given us. We summarize this again by saying that we have exactly what we have to use for God's call on our lives right where we are. He has given us all that we have for that one purpose. So be grateful. Don't be guilt, full of guilt. But just realize that's the point. Let's take it one more step for clarity. And I'm going to, you know, I, I read a Tim Keller sermon this week. And I haven't read Keller in a long time because of this very reason. Uh, he just says things so well. And I really just wanted to read his whole sermon today. And, and so, like, this is my third Keller quote um, today. <laughs> but also, this is more comfortable for me to make him say this than me say this. So, um, <laughs> so this is from Keller. Um, and I agree, so... Okay, so he says, one of the questions a Christian has to ask is this, is my standard of living going up as fast as my income? I wish he'd have left it there, but he answered it. He said, it must not. The more money you make, the greater a distance there must be between the lifestyle you do live and the lifestyle you're capable of living. And I don't know at what point that starts kicking in. You know, I don't know what point you stop elevating your, your, your standard of living. Again, if you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. Remember what we said, where we wanted to start at. We want to start with the understanding that it is all God's. I was sitting with uh, Andre Turkanik in, in, in Austria a couple weeks ago. And um, <laughs> I always feel like I'm like name or place dropping. So. But he was the guy that came and gave our, um, you know, our arts, uh, culture, and the divine lecture uh, back in the fall. We were talking, and, and he is responsible for raising a lot of funds for their ministry uh, that they do, their institute, their equipping and apologetics institute they do in Salzburg. And he was telling me about like, how he loves it, but he hates it. And he's like, I just get so tired of people like, making me jump through all these hoops to prove to them that this is a worthy cause to give money to. And he's like, I get it, but it's just frustrating. And he said, he said, you know, I was talking to one guy, and the guy was like, well, we just, we just aren't sure if we can give you our money yet. And I love Anjay. He looks at the guy, and he says, well, that's good, because I don't want your money. I want God's money. <laughs> it's his anyway. It's his, not yours. So be prayerful and give what he says to give. But anyway, that's the mentality. Like, do we have the mentality that all that we have and all that we do and all that we are is God's? And it's not a matter of the minimalistic idea of, okay, so how little can I give him? But, man, he is so worthy of all of it. And it's to be our joy. Like again, and, the, and again, it's not just our joy to give it all so we think, okay, I'm going to give God um, 70%. It's not, that, that's even a wrong understanding because we're, we're giving it all to him no matter what, right? That's the reality. Like that's the, the whole idea. Wherever your feet are, that's where your mission is. So we talked about a couple weeks ago how that eradicates this category that we don't have time that feeds our guilt because we see in all these things that are good, we're like, man, I don't have time to live a missional life. And you're like, man, that's bogus. You do have time because wherever you are, you're using time and, you're, and the purpose of God and the glory of God is meant to be through you and shining you right then and there. Same thing here. 
It's all God's. And so it's not a matter of allocating percentages, but it's a matter of posturing your heart in a way that every bit of what you do and every bit of how you do it is understood that it's for the glory of God and his purpose in his life. As Jesus incarnated, came into our filth to save us, to meet our need, we're called to incarnate into the world and come alongside people. And with whatever we have, how little or how big, we are called to, to fulfill that same purpose of holding out the love of God, holding out the hope of Christ and whatever it takes as, we, as he leads us Man, let's do it. Like, that's it. And so, again, another category that's erased. But yes, be faithful, consider, give generously, sacrificially with great joy. Be a part of supporting your local church. We're called to this together. Be a part of supporting the work of the kingdom wherever that is. Like, do that. We should. We say unapologetic. This is the third time today we've talked about money. Well, this third time is a long one. But this is the third time today we've talked about money, and we do it unapologetically every single time. It is a gift to hold the things of this world loosely, and there's nothing more tangible than the money that we hold. So just with great love, with great humility, and with great gentleness, we say, be prayerful. It's all God's. How does he want you to use it for his glory? Man, don't, if, you're feeling, if you're feeling racked with guilt, let's dig deeper. You're asking the wrong questions. You're looking at the wrong metrics. Man, this should be joyful. It should be purposeful. Yes, it's sobering. Yes, it's all-consuming. But that's the point of it all. And guess what? It's not bad to have a lot of money. God gave us all that he gave us for us to enjoy. Just if you want some biblical proof, 1 Timothy 6.17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Again, reinforcing this entire truth. If you ever think Paul and James are at odd, these are two different guys teaching the same thing now. But on God. So we don't have our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Grateful hearts. Grateful hearts. Do you realize it's from Him? Do you know that it's for Him? There is gratefulness in that. So I don't want to skip the last verse. I know um, I, I want to, so let's, let's close with the last verse. The summary sentence is meant to make, to make it inescapably clear that, that to embody these characteristics, describe these sins that James is addressing, is to utterly set yourself against God. Verse 6 says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. If you know the story of Jesus' life, trial, and crucifixion, this should sound familiar. I'm not saying that James is talking about Jesus, but this is cross-language. If you're in here again, and if, and if you don't know what you think about Jesus, the cross, if you don't know what you believe right now, that's okay, but I want to ask you this question. If you read the Bible as true, if you give weight to this account, the, the way that Jesus lived his life, the way in which he was condemned, do you feel that Jesus should have been crucified? Did his life, did his teachings, did his actions warrant that death? Just from an objective judicial stance. No. So what's being said here is that you are guilty of the same things that those were guilty of who killed Jesus. Ouch. But that's what he's saying. He's putting you in the same category. 
Don't be guilty of that. Don't set yourself at odds to the purpose of God. And for the Christian, holy cow, this is even heavier for you because you know. And for you to embody any part of this, man, it'd be better that you not be born. That is harsh. There is a chastisement of your conscience and your mind and your heart coming. Now, if you are... If you're in Christ, if you've followed Christ as Savior, again, His righteousness is yours. But man, how, how, how devastating it would be to embody any of this willfully knowing that. So repent. Believe that God loves you and that His way is better. His satisfaction is greater. And be restored. Have all of your efforts and work be redeemed. Have it go beyond the temporal. For the Christ follower, your message is to stay the course. I wish, uh, if I had time, I'd tell you another illustration about Gavin, but we're just going to get to the end. I love talking about Gavin and Brooklyn and Amber. They're great. Your reward is the same as Jesus. Your reward is the same as Jesus. You're not made a Savior. You're not made Messiah-like, but your inheritance is the same. Your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is a life that woos people to the truth of God. Your reward is that you have a peace that surpasses all understanding and a hope that is incorruptible. So today, as the Holy Spirit has, has worked in your hearts, respond. Again, avoid this, this tension of like, okay, so how, like, how much is enough? Let's just enjoy the journey of saying, God, here's my life. However you can use it, use it. And, and enjoy the life of offering, the life of saying, I'm a living sacrifice. That's my spiritual act of worship. So let us come to God in His grace and His love today. Let me pray. God, I, I'm amazed that kind of something so difficult like this something that meets us so near and, and just in the middle of our life and our, and our existence, God, or that, that is hard to understand, hard to respond to, Lord, can be so beautiful. Lord, and that's because it is uh, of you. It's because it's your truth. It's because it's our freedom. And so right now I just pray for, for a humility of hearts, a resolve of our lives, a joy of the offering, God, Lord, as we give all that we are, whatever we have that's tangible, whatever we have that's in our hearts and minds, Lord, just, uh, just continue your work of making us more like you. Lord, as we use that word, being sanctified. Lord, we thank you that you, you did a complete work in us in Christ as we confessed and believed, but also you are continuing a work in Christ of making us more like him. So pray that you, I pray that you would give us a heart and a hunger for your word, as your Holy Spirit works through your word to make us more like him, to help us to know you. I pray you would give us a heart to do that together as the community of God for your glory in this world. So Lord, we love you. Lord, as we continue to worship through uh, communion, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.